Diablo 4 has arrived. As the forces of hell gather, only you can stand in their way. Journey across the expansive open world of Sanctuary. Choose from five powerful classes, then progress them to fit your playstyle. Adventure with your friends in up to four-player co-op with cross-play and cross-progression on all platforms. Welcome to hell. Diablo 4, available now. Rated M for Mature. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hi guys, welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta, and I'm very excited about our guest today. I'm sure you've seen his work um, in some of the top beauty publications lately, um, Refinery29, Birdie. But without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Dr. Corey Hartman. He has been named the number one uh, board-certified dermatologist in Birmingham and has many, many other accolades. So welcome, Dr. Hartman. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I am Corey Hartman. I'm a board certified dermatologist. I practice in Birmingham, Alabama at a practice that I founded 11 years ago in 2009 called Skin Wellness Dermatology. We have a couple of locations and um, three doctors, three dermatologists and two nurse practitioners, three estheticians that provide comprehensive skin care um, that spans the ages, it spans the decades, it spans the needs. So medical, laser, cosmetic, pediatric, um, right. we are kind of a one-stop shop for all things skin, hair, and nails. I love that. Um, I actually wanted to ask, that was my first question for you, is what your role, opinion of skincare really is in terms of, you know, skin health and just overall maintenance. Um, I, I, I really want to hear uh, what you think of it, um, rather than a lot of the companies, you know, that tell us about skincare. Yeah, well, the skin is the largest organ, as everybody knows, and is yeah. your first line of defense against infection and um, unregulated temperature. And uh, it's the way that we convey our beauty. It's important to our careers and our interpersonal relationships. It helps us to, um, you know, keep our hydration in with the good skin barrier so that we don't right. suffer from, you know, skin conditions that are affected by dryness, like eczema. So the skin is very important. Um, right. And, you know, I, I'm a skincare minimalist in a lot of ways. I don't think that a lot of products are always better or necessary. Um, but yeah. the key, key skincare ingredients and products can be very helpful to not only achieve the goals that you're going for, but to be able to maintain and prevent um, anti or aging, unwanted aging, premature aging, and other breakouts from inflammation in the future. Uh, that's interesting because, you know, and in terms of minimalism, like, um, what do you mean by like minimalism? What do you think is the most minimalistic skincare routine someone should have? Uh, I think good sun protection. So a good sunscreen uh, and yeah. antioxidant cocktail some sort of serum in the morning and then a retinol at night that really is the holy trinity of basic skincare and without that you aren't covering all of the bases to keep things tight and firm and even and acne free and wrinkle free so that's kind of a good basic and it's easy for most people to adhere with that simple regimen and then if there are special concerns or 
desires or goals that you need to work on, you know, we can add other products to help to achieve those particular goals. That makes sense. Okay. So, um, so how do you feel about all the skincare brands that are like the clinical grade skincare brands? Um, they're claiming a lot of, um, you know, research backed stuff. Like they're saying there, you know, there's more clinical trials going on now with skincare brands. How do you feel about that whole thing? Well, I guess it depends on the skincare brand. The ones yeah. that I am familiar with and work with, they, they really do conduct this research. Um, and I've helped them to conduct some of the research. So, they have white papers and science behind them. Um, some people say it's controversial because they, you know, set the studies up in a way that's going to be favorable. But most companies that conduct the real trials are ethical and, and don't really do that. Everybody who puts out skincare is not conducting clinical trials, however. So, you know, right. you can't say that across the board. But for the ones that are in a physician's office that are dispensed, um, you know, behind that wall and, you um, have science, some science behind them, they can be trusted to at least uphold the standard that they are purporting to uphold. Right, right. That makes sense. And, and you know, I am actually curious because um, I, I wonder what you think about the whole peer-reviewed, um, you know, publication of, of your research versus just, you know, a com- in, in-house like company research. Like, how do you feel about those two? Do you think it should be more of like a academia-based process rather than just, you know, in-house research or does it even well, matter? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's way more expensive to do that. And yeah. a lot of those studies are to... Um, establish efficacy and also clinical safety and if these things aren't you know regulated by the fda then i'm not sure if they need to be held to the same stringent regulations that you know a prescription medication should be held to that seems a bit far-reaching and far-fetched they're just making claims that these changes will be you know are, are, are generally reproducible if they're used by a vast majority of people so um I'm not sure if they need to be held to the same standards as something that could potentially cause, you know, medical changes and um, can be detrimental to a person's health. So, right, right. Yeah, I and, think and there are different levels. I, I, you know, honestly, the reason I ask you this is because of the whole sunscreen controversy. Um, I don't know how much um, you you heard about the whole, you know, people were talking about how it causes melanoma and all of this. And I, I just sunscreen wondered, causes like, melanoma. Yeah, I was reading. About oh, I've never this, heard like, that. I apparently apparently in the 90s this was a big like it was the first time they it came out with this and then um recently that you know the whole concept surged up again and I was reading papers about it there's absolutely no um science backing this claim at all but like it's it's becoming this fad I feel like and people are talking oh my god here we go it's the democratization (laughs) of expertise right I'm so sick of it everybody who has a platform is not an expert so yeah I we can't even entertain that it's fake it's real fake news (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad i thank you for commenting on that yeah because i was just like you know i wonder what he would think about this. yeah no everything that's printed i mean i tell people you can find anything anything that you want on the internet there's always yeah. going to be a dark corner of some you know foxhole that you can go to if you if you search and scroll long enough you will find a claim to support or you'll find information to support a claim on yeah. anything that doesn't mean that it's credible that's the thing just because it's printed on the internet does not make it a credible source, does not make it a scientific source or even a reputable source of information. So I need more information than it was on the internet. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, no, it was, I, I was reading papers on PubMed because it, it, it's been published that there is absolutely no scientific truth to this. Gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's you know to your claim, but I mean, yeah. just in general, people try to come with, you know, these arguments and if your primary source of, you know, citation is something that you read on the internet, then we can't discuss it. Of course, PubMed <laughs> is a different story. That's on the internet, but that's actually a database of, you know, researched um, scientifically backed, um, you know, information. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I agree with you completely. So let me let me shift focus a little bit. I want to ask you about the products you think are, I guess, you know, uh, and you know, pardon me for this word, but universally um, great for everybody. Um, do you think that there's like a, you know, just your go-to things that everybody can kind of say, okay, let me go grab this cleanser or this, you know, like your favorite Ooh, I don't know about that. You mean specifics? Not really. I mean, that's going to vary pretty widely. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there, there are certain, like Cetaphil is a great cleanser. CeraVe is a great cleanser. But is, yeah. it gonna, is it going to, you know, address your needs if you're oily? No. Is it going to help you if you're suffering from acne? Maybe not. So there, there's really not a one-step shop or yeah. you know like that I mean we can go categories like we talked about I think everybody needs a sunscreen and antioxidant and perhaps a retinol or some sort of retinol substitute if you are sensitive or have rosacea or you know eczema or dry skin conditions but um, that's the beautiful thing about um, skin and dermatology is that it, you, a customized treatment is really going to be best for you which is why proactive fails because yeah. it's the same thing for everybody if, they, yeah. if it works, it works because you're compliant. It's about consistency. Anything that you use for a while is going to be consistent, is going to be, is going to be effective if you keep using it until it's not effective anymore. So um, that's cookie cutter. So we try to stay away from that kind of stuff because it might give you a temporary improvement, but it's not going to be anything that's sustained or long lasting. Interesting. So what are some of the things that you consider in your patients when you're um, trying to recommend maybe, a, you know, a, some sort of a skincare product to them that you think might be beneficial? Um, what are some of the things to keep in mind that we well, can keep in mind? Yeah. So you need to consider your skin type. You yeah. need to assess your oil content if you're prone to dryness, if you're dealing with any underlying skin condition like seborrheic dermatitis or acne or rosacea or eczema or keratosis pilaris or any of a number of things that determine, you know, you may need something more significant to treat those medical conditions. And then you formulate a regimen around that condition and those medications that, you know, you're prescribed. So that's yeah. probably the first thing. The second thing is the goals that you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to deal with discoloration or, if you're trying to clear up acne or help with melasma or whatever, that's yeah. going to be crucial. You look at the person's history and what they've dealt with. If they have any scarring that might impact the regimen, you look at their family history, um, see what you know concerns that family members have dealt with or family members are dealing with that this person may be destined for later. Um, it, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot that goes into it, which is why it's really frustrating when people see somebody with clear skin and they say, you know, drop your skincare regimen. Well, yes. that doesn't oh. mean that what works yeah. for me is not necessarily going to work for you. And instead of, you know, spending, wasting money on these products, just because it worked for somebody else, maybe you should just invest in some professional assistance to help to find a regimen that actually works for you. 
instead that's of actually, something that's that actually where i was friend. gonna go next and ask you this exact question what you just addressed is this idea of you know when you're a teenager you get your first breakout what should you do my answer is go to a dermatologist you know that's what i did when i was a teenager and had a breakout i told my mom i don't know what to do because we didn't have this whole big skincare you know industry right like at that time so my go-to was i'm gonna go to a derm and now I feel like that whole step is being skipped. And, you know, how do you, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I think people waste a lot of time. Now, I mean, everybody who deals with teenage breakouts doesn't necessarily have to see a dermatologist. Of course, that would be my preference because it would save a lot of time. But it it is important. I, I tell patients or parents to make sure that their child, first of all, that they care. Because if they don't care about the acne, then we're wasting everybody's time having them come into my office. Number two, make sure that they are ready to be consistent with something. You know, a lot of these kids are barely washing their faces. So if you bring them in my office, even if they do care and they haven't developed a consistent routine and I give them, you know, an additional step or two, it, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure there too. There are some good over-the-counter products um, that you can get at the drugstore that will work for a teenager preteen, tween, whatever we're calling them to get started. And then if they develop some regularity and consistency with that, and they're not seeing improvement, then maybe it's time to get professional help. Um, But yeah, yeah, those are the two things that I try to insist upon before, you know, recommending that they come into the office. You know, I I find it interesting how the concept of dermatologists has changed ever since Accutane was a thing that was like overly prescribed, I feel like. I mean, do you feel like that kind of changed people's perception of like a dermatologist? Because I I remember being like a teenager. What was it like before? Uh, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was a teenager, had bad cystic acne, my dermatologist scared the living crap out of me. She told me, "You're not going to have kids." you're gonna have to come in every week for a pregnancy test it just scared me you know what I mean at the time and I remember my friends now that I you know in their 30s millennials they're like yeah I remember that I felt the same with Accutane so I'm curious like do you like do you think there's anything in that whole thing that's kind of changed people's perception like about you know those Um, kind of drugs I first of all I want to go on record as saying that Accutane is a wonderful drug that changes people's lives for the better every single day that's number one there is a lot of misconception about Accutane and there's a whole like sub world of anti-vax type people who um, make it their mission to demonize this drug based on very little scientific evidence okay so that's that number two there are it you said something about never having kids. So what what we say and what people hear, there's obviously a huge disconnect. And I don't know the dermatologist. I don't know how it was delivered to you. I find yeah. it hard to believe that any dermatologist would ever say that. Because the truth is that while you're on the drug, you may not, you must not have a child. Because if you do, that baby could have significant birth defects. Right. That medicine stays in your system for one month. After you're off of the medicine for one month, you can have a baby that is totally healthy and fine. And it does not impair your um, ability to have children. It does not impact your fertility at any point in life. Like none of those things is true. But because of the democratization of expertise, (laughs) there's this bad information out there that makes people demonize this drug, usually and you know, for no with with for no reason, to be honest. Um, Of course, like any other medication, it's going to have potential side effects. If you read all of the side effects of doxycycline, if you would actually go down and read them out, you probably wouldn't want to take that. 
If you read all the side effects in, that happened in any study of ibuprofen, you probably right. wouldn't want to take that either. Yeah. So I, I think it gets a bad rap. I really do. It's a great drug. And like any other drug, I'm sure that there are people who, you know, took it and didn't like it. But those people are far outnumbered by the people who say that it changes their lives. It prevents scarring. It gives them their confidence back. It can, it's the only way to cure the acne. And, um, you know, it, it, it gives them a new outlook. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I know. I don't, yeah, I don't know how it changed. I don't know if, if I would say that if I, if anything, I would say that Accutane offered an option that would have made a dermatologist more appealing, not less. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that that's not the you know consensus that I got growing up. You know, I I'm I get it. I get what you're saying, and I totally am 100 percent behind that because obviously you're the expert, you know, and you've seen this day in and day out. I'm just saying, I think that there's a lot of like stigma associated with taking like for example i can tell you right now that i have friends that say if i go to a dermatologist i'm going to be prescribed something like a antibiotic or i'm going to be given something you know or like a, a medication that's harsh well, that's, we're than, doctors yeah <laughs> like, no, would i know you go, would you go to the internist and say how dare you give me a medication for hypertension i mean yeah. when people i'll tell you the flip side of that okay. when people come to us dermatologists medical doctors who have gone to allopathic medical school and they lay out their list of things that they will not take and they only want to take natural things we ask like why are you here because this is not what I went to school for I didn't go to school to give you herbs so and I understand look that is your right that is your prerogative everybody makes their own decisions on how they want to take control of their, of, of their health care. But that's not really fair, you know, to like yeah. put that on doctors. Like, I don't want this, 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 I won't take antibiotics. Like that's what we, those are the medications that are available for acne. That's what we learn in residency, how to treat acne. So I mean, yeah, that's your idea. Maybe you should try a naturopathic doctor or yeah. an esthetician who, you know, is not a medical profession. I don't know. No, I get it. I mean, I was trained in allopathic medicine as well. So I get it, you know, and and I get the idea of giving drugs is what we learned. But like, you know, one thing that I think people need to understand is that, you know, if you're getting a drug from a dermatologist, and this was actually the point I was trying to make is that if you guys are prescribing a drug, it's because there are clinical studies, there's research that shows that this is going to kill the bacteria that are, you know what I mean? Like there's a reason that antibiotic is being used. So absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so I I actually want to ask you, um, you know, going off of that a little bit, is there an area in dermatology or plastic surgery that you want to see more research around um, that you would like to see more information about? Yeah, I would like to see more research focused on keloids and scarring yeah, um, and all the different forms of hair loss. I would like to see more research in areas that historically affect underrepresented minorities, particularly yeah. black people, because we have a thousand medications for psoriasis and like nothing new for keloids in like the past 50 years. So right. that's just another example of disparities in medicine because psoriasis, although it affects people of all skin types, it affects people with lighter skin, white people, you know, in greater numbers than it does people of color. So hair loss is another, you know, scarring alopecia is something that affects black communities more than it affects 
other communities there but you know hair loss is just underserved in general but yeah there yeah. happens to also be that that racial component to it so yeah i would love to and there are some some things coming down the pike for um hair loss there are there have been some great strides made by colleagues and friends of mine who have made it their life's work to really do some great basic science research to figure out some of the genetic predispositions um, markers and um, try to get more to the root of why some of these disorders exist. So that's, that's promising. We have, and, and that will lead the companies to see that it's profitable so that they will go take the step to develop, you know, effective treatments and remedies. But yeah, I would like to see, I would like to see those two areas in particular. We have enough psoriasis yeah. medications, like seriously. Yeah. <laughs> there are it's literally like 15 biologics for psoriasis you oh know oh my god right wow yeah I, I get it no i get that and that's that's very interesting you mentioned keloids actually um i i'm gonna do a little bit more research i don't know much about uh like the you know from the dermatology side about yeah. um keloid scarring so but, okay so i actually want to ask you something and this is something I, I i'm hoping after this episode is completely cleared up for everybody out there this whole idea of dirty ingredients or clean beauty what yes. are your thoughts about that? Okay, so this is another controversial topic that yeah. I think has been usurped and, um, let's see, manipulated for marketing purposes. Because you already know that there is no governing body that labels anything clean or dirty. There's the, you know, the, the European list, which I think goes too far because they have... Yeah petrolatum on the list which is just vaseline and that's not you know not necessarily a toxic substance we've been using it forever for years um and then we have this whole idea of clean beauty which is really just a term that has no real meaning it has no real right. yeah it, it, yep. there's there's you know there's there's nobody please policing. tell us more dr hartman please. yeah well there's there no <laughs> There's no governing body that's saying what's clean and what's not. These anybody can make these claims. Does that mean that you know it's organic? Does that mean that it's natural? Is it derived with you know no chemicals? Well, what what's considered a chemical? I mean, everything is actually a chemical, so it, it's semantics. And they're using the the public's um, lack of understanding and lack of information to take advantage of these buzzwords that sound good but yeah. it really doesn't mean anything when you dig down into actually I just did a talk with the interview with the coveteur who broke all this down and looked at mm. all the differences the only one that has any weight is organic because that there's actually a definition for that and mm. the FDA does regulate um, products that are labeled organic to make sure that you know, they're free of pesticides and other ingredients that go against what the idea of organic is. But clean, even vegan, you know, yeah. animal cruelty, sustainable, all these terms are so interwoven, interrelated, but distinct that yeah. you could be animal, you could be like what? Let's say you could be vegan, but not cr animal cruelty free. Like yeah. you could actually be not derived from an animal, but tested on an animal. And, you know, it's just, it's like convoluted. So none of those words really have a lot of meaning. It, it, I, I'm, I, I'm a consultant for a skincare company and they were just asking my opinion on this whole, they spent all this money to go into clean. And I said, look, I feel like that, that they, they are really um, sincere about it. And yeah. they've done the work, but that that term has been so diluted that it yeah. really doesn't mean anything anymore. So I, don't think I gave it ever them some. Did. I don't think it. Ever you don't think did. so? 
Yeah, no, I think that there are companies that that had good intentions. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but got like, away from it. It's quickly. intentions, you know, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, you That's know, true. it's just like, I, like I honestly, I, I hear you. With I just think that clean. When you tell me something is clean. I, I'm sorry, I still think of soap and water. You know, I don't right, think right, about right. like... You know, <laughs> yeah, no, I get so, it. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, 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 I like the more, you know, clinical, I guess, grade skincare because I, I like science, you know? Obviously, right. we, we're practitioners, we like science, but it's like... We want I evidence. Think, we want evidence, <laughs> thank you. Yes, exactly what I was saying, yep. Yes. So, okay, I want to ask you one more question. How much skincare is too much skincare? I know it's a weird question, but... It's a weird question, but it's a good question. Um, I don't think it, so this is how I'll say that. Okay. And I just talked to another editor about this too, because everybody's different. You know, this is a time where people are looking for self-care and people are looking for ways to relax. People are trying to find ways to make themselves better and make themselves, you know, whole during these crazy times that we're living in. So right. what's good for you may not be good for somebody else, right? If you right. bring a bag of 20 products to me and you're using all this stuff and you're confused and five, you know, you're reduplicating efforts because you have three or four things that do the same thing, that's, and you're not getting results, then yeah. that's too much for you. And we need to pare this down get this to the basics, address the needs that you have and make it manageable. And just because we are dealing with one problem now, that doesn't mean we can't evolve to deal with another problem that you might be having later. If we find that this regimen is too much, I always ask patients, is this overwhelming? Is this a burden? Yeah. Because if it is, it's not worth it. So I, I like, I, I'm all about my Holy Trinity. I, I keep talking about those three things. Those are my non-negotiables, everything else we can add on. But then on the flip side, if that's how you, if I also tell patients that you have to find 30 minutes every day to yourself to do something relaxing, because if not, your body is going to find a way to deal with that stress that you don't like, whether it's yes. breakouts or hives or hair loss or whatever. So if your 30 minutes is sitting in the mirror and applying, you know, five serums that are not going to do you any harm and you're not going broke to do it, hey, right. go for it. <laughs> right. You know, I that's, agree. that's, yeah. that's your self-care. So uh, again, it's kind of individualized. I don't know if there's a magic number. As long as you have your basic needs being addressed, then I think that we want to keep it um, in line with your lifestyle and um, your schedule. I love that. And I love that you you mentioned self-care because, right, there's nothing wrong with self-care. Just don't pretend like it's medicine. You know? Right. Well, That's, that too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, let's keep it real for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Harmon. This has been awesome. You're you're so fun to talk to, and it's been truly a pleasure. Well, I, it was very fun. I hope that we cleared up some misconceptions, and um, I hope that people found it helpful. I'm sure they will. And everybody out there listening, please leave us your comments, and or if you have questions for Dr. Hartman, please leave them below. I'll pass it on to him if he has the time. And yeah, leave us some ratings, some feedback, and we'll be back next time. Thank you, Dr. Hartman. Thanks, Hector.